Well, the Advent season is upon us. And the Advent season also happens to be when Christmas shopping really gets hectic, doesn't it? And, uh, oh man, there's all the hustle and bustle. There's looking for the, the parking places in the, the parking lots. And, uh, there's the, uh, racing for those parking spots when you see them. And there's people getting mad at you because you beat them to it. And even though you were nice about it, you would have took it anyway and all that sort of stuff. You know, it's uh, just a time. Actually, I must say this year, I have found people being more considerate and pleasant in the stores than I have in the last several years. Uh, we've uh, had people just strike up pleasant conversations with us uh, while we were shopping. And people seem to be happy. I don't, maybe they're just glad to be let out of their COVID cage. I don't know, but it's, it's, it's going well. And, uh, and it's an exciting time. It's a time of preparing for the time whenever we uh, remember and celebrate the coming of our Lord into this sphere, this real life. And uh, the, what we read today is just, uh, it's a microcosm. Whatever you read through John 13, one through like 17, or just the whole 13th chapter, it pretty well lines out the whole of the incarnation and its purpose. And uh, we see uh, that Jesus, he came from his father and he uh, dwelt among us. And we see in this passage because he loved us. And it says he loved us to the very end. And uh, we know he didn't quit loving us even after the crucifixion. He still loved us. He still loved his disciples. Came back and spent several weeks with them after he was raised from the dead. And uh, so uh, uh, he, and it says that he emptied himself to come here. And in this passage, he makes it clear that he came as a servant. There are two words that are translated servant in uh, the New Testament. One is uh, doulos. The other is diakonos. The word doulos means actually slave, a bond slave. Somebody's been bought and paid for and you're their property. Now, sometimes Paul refers to himself as a doulos to Christ because he was bought and paid for by Jesus. And he saw himself as a bondservant. But the word that's used uh, more than any other as to how we're supposed to be uh, servants to each other is the word diakonos, which means instead of a, a, a slave, it means a server or an attendant. And uh, this is what Jesus was trying to illustrate to his uh, disciples whenever he got up. This one who was God incarnate. And he 
got down, wrapped a towel around him, and washed their feet. And then after it was over, he said, Now, you've seen what I've done here, and you need to understand. And I want to just give his words to this now. Do you know what I've done to you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you're right, for so I am. Jesus knew his position, but that had nothing to do with uh, his character. And uh, so uh, we read on. If I then, the Lord and the teacher, washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I gave you an example that you also should do as I did to you. Truly, truly, I say to you, a slave is no greater than his master, nor is one who is sent greater than the one who sent him. For if you know these things, you are blessed if you do them. I love this verse 17. If you know these things, you are blessed if you do them. Now, there are a lot of Christians today that know that they're supposed to be servants to each other. They're supposed to be serving one another. And yet they're not doing that. And uh, it's not just to brothers and sisters in Christ. It's to everybody. And I think as we begin this Advent season, it's a time to claim this promise. If you know, if you know these things, you're blessed if you do them. That's a promise. If you do these things, I'm going to go through this, what you need to do. But if you'll do this, you're going to be blessed. Jesus promised that. And he shows it in so many ways. But one more scripture I want to share with you. In Philippians, the second chapter, verses 1 through 11, this is a kind of a, a, a looking back by Paul on what Jesus was getting across and demonstrating and trying to get across to us, where he says, Therefore, if there's any encouragement in Christ, if there's any consolation of love, if there's any fellowship of the Spirit, if any affection and compassion, make my joy complete by being of the same mind, maintaining the same love, united in spirit, intent on one purpose. And this is the purpose. This is one of the things that Paul thought was so important. Do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit. Nothing from selfishness. That's self-centeredness. Just want to get in my own way. Whenever you're out and you see that parking lot, I mean, you're in that parking lot and you see that parking space. Keep this in mind. Whenever you're in a race, whenever you see a a, a short uh, line for checkout and you find yourself speeding up as somebody else is speeding up from the other direction. Remember this verse. Let them go on first. If you remember that and do it, Jesus says you'll be blessed. 
You see, this is very practical. It's an everyday living. This is what Jesus is talking about. Not just head knowledge, not just learning chapter, verse, and scripture, but if you know these things, do them every day and you will find yourself being blessed. So he goes on and uh, he says, uh, let's see, get up here. Nothing from uh, selfishness or empty conceit. Do not merely look out for your own personal interests, but also for the interests of others. Have this attitude in yourselves, which was also in Christ Jesus, who, although he existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped, a thing to be held on to and waved around. He knew who he was, but he didn't uh, just, uh, he didn't flaunt it. Uh, do not be able to look out for your own personal interests. Have this attitude. But listen what he did. Emptied himself, taking the form of a bondservant. Now that's the word uh, uh, doulos, the form of a bondservant and being made in the likeness of men. Being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. For this reason also God highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name which is above every name. So that the name of Jesus, every knee will bow, and those who are in heaven and on earth uh, and that every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. He humbled himself. He humbled himself when he got down on his knees and washed his disciples' feet. His position was secondary. His concern and his love for people was first. Not that he didn't have position. And that's it with you. Each one of you are children of the Most High God. And yet, that's nothing to uh, flaunt in front of others. It's a responsibility to do and live the life that He's called you to live. And I really want to talk and be talking to you today about humility. And, uh, you know, the song comes to mind, you know, you know, some of you know it. Oh, Lord, it's hard to be humble when you're perfect in every way. I can't wait to look in the mirror because I get better, look, get better looking each day. <laughs> to know me is to love me. I must be a heck of a man. Oh, Lord, it's hard to be humble. But I'm doing the best that I can. Well, that seems to be kind of the attitude that a lot of Christians have. You know, uh, it's just hard to be humble. It's, and it's not. It's really not hard to be humble. Uh, a uh, distinction between, there's a difference between uh, humility and uh, humiliation. I, uh, for many, many years, just uh, was of the ilk that, of, of, of people that men did grew up in a time when men did not wear pink. 
Men didn't wear pink shirts. Men didn't wear pink pants. Men didn't wear pink ties. And then one men's day, when I had been invited to preach at a dear brother in the Lord's of mine's church, uh, he was the pastor of a CME church, uh, which is an African-American denomination. And I was so honored. He called me to uh, uh, preach. And so he had all the men. It was men's day. He had all the, the men gather in, uh, in, in his study. And then he was talking and they were, he was passing stuff out. And he said, Joel, let me see that tie. And he said, that's a good looking tie. But today we want you to be one of the brethren. And he handed me a brand new pink tie. Oh, man. And I started to politely decline it. And then I looked around and every one of those men was proudly wearing a pink tie. Now, Reuben, my brother in the Lord, I loved him. And uh, I loved all these other guys in this room. And so instead of uh, being proud and declining, I humbled myself and I took off my tie and I stuck on that pink tie. Now, that's humility when out of concern and consideration for others you set aside your own preferences and maybe past convictions in order to show that you love somebody and you care for them. So I put on that pink tie. And then whenever we gathered, we were going to process in. And I was used to processing in. This was uh, back when I was at the Woodlands Methodist Church and we processed in with the choir. The choir had come in singing and we preachers would bring up the rear. And so uh, I was used to doing that and we would just biddly bop in. And uh, But as they gathered there, again, the men huddled at the uh uh, at, at the at the back of the at the, of the church at the at the door before they went in, and they were uh, they were kind of, they look at me and then they talk and they look at me and they talk and they quite a discussion about me I could tell and so finally they uh, so they they had us all lined up and uh, they said Joel we've decided you need to be right here and put me on the back the very end I was the last one in. And so, okay, you know, that's about where I was in my church all every, every time. So uh, we're lined up and went around the corner. And I noticed this line was moving awful slow. And I couldn't understand. I said, man, the choir's moving along there. They just get right on in there. What, what's going on? And uh, just before I stepped up to the door, it hit me what was going on. And I looked and here's this line of men and they are strutting as they come down the aisle. And it looked so cool. And they were strutting to the music and it was really impressive. And so what do you do? I mean, I couldn't do that. I, 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 I didn't know how to do that thing. So, uh, but what do you do? Just like in the song, 
I did the best that I could. So uh, I'm just bringing up the rear, you know, just coming down the aisle, you know, trying to wave with the rest of them. And uh, I just, uh, we made it in there. We got through it all. On the way home, my children started making fun of me. <laughs> it turns out that one of them had uh, mentioned during the service when they saw uh, these uh, guys coming down, strutting, wearing pink ties. They said, oh, mom, I'll just die if dad's wearing a pink tie. <laughs> and the other one said, I'm really going to die if he's trying to strut, you know. <laughs> So here I come strutting, wearing a pink tie, you know. So we're just coming down the, the aisle there. And anyway, and so they're making fun of me. And so I just said, okay, in that situation, what else could I do? And one of them said, well, apart from back over flip, I just can't think of anything else you could have done. So, uh, but anyway, you see, the uh, me putting on the pink tie, trying to do like everybody else. That's humility. What my daughters did to me on the way home, that's humiliation. <laughs> do, you, do you see the difference? There's a difference. Whenever something is forced on you uh, that lowers you, that's humiliation. When you personally, joyfully take it upon yourself, out of concern for others. That's humility. That's what our Lord did for us. He emptied himself of his, of, of, of just, of being a God and became a man. And that's what this whole season is all about. Us waiting for his coming and his coming and doing that. But let me tell you, when you really embrace the cross, it's not hard to be humble at all. Because when you realize that he died for you out of love for you, you were going to go to hell and he knew you were going to mess up. And so before you were even born, he had made a way for you to be washed and cleansed of your sins. And it entailed him humbling himself to the point of death. And when you realize that uh, he's just gone through so much trouble for you, and you're just overwhelmed with the gratitude that comes from that, and you really or filled with his love. It's wonderful. But at the same time, you remember that as much as he loves you and he loves you deeply, he loves everybody around you just as much. That other person that's heading for that park it for that uh, uh, cart spot uh, at the checkout counter, he loves them just as much as he loves you. That guy standing on the side of the road that doesn't have a place to sleep at night and is 
saying, hungry, need food. The Lord loves them just as much as he loves you. That's humbling. The cross is such an equalizer in that respect. And if you've been blessed, you've been blessed to be a blessing. And you've been called to serve those that have a need. Those guys obviously needed their feet washed. And Jesus saw the need. And he took care of it. And whenever you see a need, that's what he's wanting you to do, is take care of it. So the first thing, I'm just three points today. Number one, get off your high horse. Get off of it. You're not the center of the world, even though you may be living like you are. You're not the center. God is the center. And we're all uh, under him. And we're all looking to him together. Now, whenever you're willing to do this, I mean, this is just how, in connection with this, how important you are in this world. God put you here for good. But, and you can, and if when you obey him, you have ripples that go out from your little insignificant acts of kindness that ripple throughout the world. And uh, every day you have the opportunity to give a smile, to uh, uh, greet someone, to uh, defer to someone in your homes, in uh, your workplaces. Every day you're giving given that opportunity. Reminds me of the founder of, uh, of Methodism, John Wesley. Uh, and there's a story of him one day. He, there was, he came up to a brook with a narrow bridge across it. And this bridge was only one, uh, only, only wide enough for one person to get on at a time. And so he started to cross. And here he met a very liberal preacher coming the other way who said to John Wesley, I never give way to fools. And John Wesley just started backing up. He says, oh, I always do. (laughs) That may not be the best example of humility, but uh, the act was an act of humility. He did give way. But uh, so anyway, get off your high horse because the ripple effect that you can cause for good in this world is tremendous. Several years ago, I made a terrible discovery. Uh, It seems that the worst time to be a server in a restaurant is during the Sunday lunch crowd when all the church folks come flocking in. I've had people confirm this. I've asked them. Church people after church are the rudest and most demanding of any of the people they get all week. And they also are the stingiest tippers. Now, what kind of an example, what kind of ripple effect does that have? 
What does that cause those people that are having to work there and take care of your needs? What kind of a, a attitude do you think that that gives them toward church people? And if church people, then church. And if church, then the God that the church proposes that it serves. And so this is a after church, whenever y'all go to the restaurant, remember this. It's a place to put into practice things that will bring blessing to you. Sharon and I tried to get the names of our servers and call them by name. And uh, we have one uh, one lady in one restaurant that uh, we have become so close that she hugs us when we come in. And uh, when one of, we just go in there to grab something uh, that we've ordered online, she asks how the other of us is doing. And uh, and so uh, this is a it's just a small act of kindness, just showing that you have respect for other people. It makes a difference to those servers. Many of them are single parent moms who are doing the best they can to take care of their their children. And they're just trying so hard. And your heart should go out for them. They're working. They're trying. So anyway, that's enough of that. So uh, another example of the ripple effect. Mike Warnke uh, was a Christian comedian. Uh, at one point in his life, he was a Satanist high priest. Uh, he did not live a good life at all. And then he got drafted. And uh, he was uh, uh, going off to boot camp. No, he wound up beating the draft and going and joining. He went into the Navy, I believe it was. But he was being shipped off to boot camp. And uh, he wound up being uh, in the uh, in, a, in a room with two other guys. And they, it turns out, were devout Christians. And they discovered right off that Mike just hated Christians. He had nothing to do with Jesus. And uh, and so they, he would just make fun of them. He would try to uh, get their goat. And all they would do was serve him. They'd make up his bed. They would polish his boots. They just blessed him. They returned cursings with blessings all the way through. And then the last day, uh, one of them came up to him and says, Mike, you got to let me tell you about Jesus. And uh, Mike Warnke took this guy, grabbed him, and just threw him across the room so hard that when his head hit the lavatory, the ceramic lavatory on the other side, he hit it with his nose and his head bounced off and just broke his nose. And he uh, was laying there on the floor. And uh, Mike said to him, if you ever mention the name of Jesus to me again, I'm going to slip up on you while you're asleep. And I'm going to cut you open like a Christmas turkey. And the guy said, but Mike, I've got to tell you about Jesus. And he said, why? He said, because I love you, Mike. And Mike said, you're laying there in a pool of your own blood that 
from a broken nose that I gave you and you're saying you love me? And he said, yeah, that's right. And he said, well, then what is love, smart guy? And the guy reached up and he wiped the blood off his face. He held out his hand. He said, Mike, Jesus loved you enough to go to the cross and to bleed and die for you. And Mike, if you're good enough for Jesus, you're good enough for me, man. Mike said he'd had a lot of arguments against Christianity up till that moment. And then they were all gone. And that night, he knelt in a closet, a, bro- a mop closet at Navy boot camp. And he said, God, make me like them. He didn't know that he was saying, come into my heart and, uh, and, uh, and, and dwell in me and, 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 and all this sort of stuff. That's all he knew to say was make me like them. And God honored that prayer. He did. And Mike Warnke wound up changing many, many lives through his life because of a couple of guys in Navy boot camp that just loved him in spite of himself. What those guys did was they practiced humility. They loved him and they served him. And that's what we're called to do to everybody around us. The next thing, besides getting off your high horse, do what he told you to do. Do what he told you to do. He says, if you know these things and do them, you'll be blessed. And you will. And uh, there are results if you do. And the results will be blessings to you and there'll be blessings to others as well. And those little acts of kindness wind up giving hope to others that may have lost all hope. And more than anything else, if you'll live your life like that, when you lay down at night to sleep, you'll know that someone is there in the shadows and they're smiling because you did this to the least of one of these, his brothers. In the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen.